I was about four when I had a little discussion with myself about why I obeyed mommy. And I decided the reason I obeyed her was because I didn't like the flack I got if I didn't. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's not a very good reason to obey mommy. Uh, but if she doesn't like that reason, she needs to change the way she disciplines me. And about that time, she started reading. And this was the year I was an atheist, so you need to keep that in mind. Uh, I wasn't having a discussion with God about this. <laughs> I was discussing it with myself. And about that time, she started reading Child Guidance and read about how spanking is not the best discipline. And she didn't spank me, but she scolded me, which Ellen White says, never scold your child. And uh, so she started reading, and she changed her methods of discipline right about that time. And I like to think that God took my little discussion with myself as a prayer <laughs> mm -hmm. and answered it. Uh, chapter 8, we got as far as verse 20. Am I correct, Shalina? We read that first little... Dis uh, first little. I know we went some... Yeah, we went into we went. <laughs> we went into the rest of of the chapter, but we didn't um, get very far. So let's start with verse twenty one. And uh, Peter, would you read for us? Uh, why don't you just read that whole section down to verse thirty? Once more, Jesus said to them, "I am going away, and you will look for me." and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you, that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. What's the problem in this passage? What, why is Jesus str struggling to get across these concepts to the Pharisees? Well, they wanted just extreme difference in him and the world, and the people and their selfishness. Yeah. And their terminal condition. So... They can't see, understand Jesus and his mission because they're selfish and he's not. Can we unpack that and, and 
kind of describe it more fully? I think it kind of goes back to Nicodemus in the sense where he's talking about whenever Jesus starts talking about heavenly concepts, uh, it's a completely different like um, there's a completely different foundation on which the things are based on. Um, so Nicodemus didn't understand what he meant when he said, like, what does it mean to be born again? And so they go back to a very physical, very um, concrete, concrete, intangible like way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is very abstract in the way he thinks. And like you were saying, um, like it's very selfless too. I mean, Jesus, just how he's speaking, he's constantly glorifying, not himself, he's glorifying him who sent him. And so I think it's just a very different... Approach Do, to you know, let's philosophy. start at the beginning point. Number one, there's nothing in their teaching that they know of, because they don't understand the Old Testament. There's nothing in their teaching that they know of that would have God sending someone to the world, unless it's a prophet. And and Jesus doesn't seem to be a prophet. There's something different about him mm-hmm. from a prophet. And so, so how would God and and um, And the way he talks about God, he claims him in such a personal way. He's my father. I came to, you know, he, he, my father sent me. I speak nothing on my own, but what my father shows me. Um, and, and it's constantly my father. And the rabbis by this time understood God as their father. But uh, let me do a little history on that concept because it's a very interesting one. How many times is God called the Father or our Father in the Old Testament? I feel like he wasn't referred to a lot in those terms. He's not. He's not referred to in well, those they terms. They had to be very careful what word they used. He said his name or tried to think of a name. That's true. But this has a little different issue, I think, behind it. It's more lineage-based. I know they always talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, the fathers are the patriarchs. God is not a patriarch. But kings were fathers. Prophets were called father. I don't know if you remember the Elisha stories, but my father is a term used to apply to Elisha. The writings of the fathers, that term was used also. Um. Let's look at the word father and how it's used in the ancient Near East. The father figure is a hierarchical figure. He is not a soft, warm Abba figure that that Jesus portrays him to be. He is um, he is the top person. So so you have these layers of fathers. This is what we call the house of the father which is the term used in numbers a lot to describe patriarchal systems and patrimonialism. I'm using both terms because we almost no longer use in scholarly circles uh, pa- uh, patriarchy, we use patrimonial. And so in patrimonial households, you have the lowest father would be the father of the lowest slave. And over him would be his master, and if his master was the youngest in the family, then he was only the father of his immediate household. And his father over him would either be his oldest brother, if his father was dead, or his biological father, 
who was over both the older brother and him. And above the, that father was the father of the clan, the father of the tribe, and up to the father of the king, and above the father of the king was the god who ruled. And I'm, I'm talking now in, in ancient Near Eastern terms, mm-hmm. not just biblical. So, and, and even that god had gods above him, and so he, they were, there was the ultimate father, God. But it was extremely hierarchical. It was extremely power-based. It was extremely about authority. And remember, Jesus is, comes, if you remember Mark 10, uh, 42 to 45, Jesus says, uh, you know that the Gentiles rule over one another and they exercise, their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be first. Great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. This is what Jesus' kingdom is like. And it's, it's a pyramid up the side down. You know, with with um, the, the top person being at the bottom. So, they're confused because that, the reason why the Old Testament, I think, does not tend to view God as Father, I think is simply a stroke of inspiration. God did not want to be represented as a patrimonial Father. So he used other qualifying terms and other metaphors to describe himself. They have the same issue with the word love. Only in a romantic sense was love intimate. Love, in the ancient Near Eastern context, was a treaty kind of loyalty under duress. <laughs> I mean, you obeyed your suzerain king who had conquered your nation. Um, not because you loved him, in the sense we think of love, but it, but you were loyal to him because you didn't dare revolt, or he would come at you with his armies and punish you severely, telling you that you had broken faith with his